Association. 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 That was such uber ponage. Hello, fellow nerds from the studios of WBNS Radio in Columbus, Ohio. This is the Nerd Association Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Barnett. And I'm your other host, Mark Finch. And we have a very special guest for this episode of Nerd Association. My wife. Hi. Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Finch now, but it's still nice to call her J-Lo, so... So we'll go with that. It's way it's gonna get us a lot more clicks if we say Jennifer Lopez is joining us this week to talk about Dune. So that's a that is a good idea. <laughs> I haven't changed any of my handles on social media. So there you go. Well, welcome back. Thank you. What do you guys think of when I say I must not fear? Fear is the mind killer. Fear is a little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it is gone, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear is gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. That's family guy, right? (laughs) Why are you like this? (laughs) Am I wrong? Yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) you know. Uh, well, how could you think of anything? So as Chops sometimes says, like, yeah, you try to think of what else could that be from. Um, in this case, the only thing else it might be from is from star wars but that would be the derivative work in this case no it's from dune the frank herbert novel and now adapted into a movie at least half of it yeah half a movie or half the story or however you're gonna look at it yes well it's not it's not half the story because i'll tell you what there's six of those books so yeah it's (laughs) one twelfth of the story i guess you could say yeah something like that yeah so we are going to be talking about dune this week and uh, I, I don't know about, I mean, I think I know about the two of you, but this has been something I've been very excited for for a long time. I'm a big fan of the books. I've read, I think, three of the six books. Um, they get pretty, f- I mean, they're all pretty far out, but that one gets pretty far out <laughs> once you get far, far enough along. Um, yeah, I've gotten to God Emperor, which is the fourth one, yeah. and it is wacky. <laughs> But uh, but yes, I've been very I've been anticipating this a lot, as a lot of folks have. Tell me. So I just I, I mean, I guess I jumped the gun. I told you my exposure to Dune. I read the books, I think, in college. Um, it was some of the little like the little bit of pleasure reading that I got to do in college while I was being an English major professionally. Um, Chops, Jen, what have what's your exposure been to Dune, either the books or the previous movies or miniseries or whatever the case may be? So my grandmother was a huge nerd. So we owned the 80s movie on DVD and it was the double disc. So I saw the movie first and at a very young age and could not process what was happening in the least bit. And then when we actually first met is when I picked up the novel. And I don't know if it was like my psyche saying like, you need escapism or something (laughs) but then i i read them i read up to god dune i mean god dune emperor yeah yeah i have not read any of the books shocker (laughs) there uh uh so i really didn't know what to expect from dune i knew it was like kind of nerdy i knew it was super dense i really didn't know anything about it but when i saw the preview for this jen was very excited and i was like it looks immaculate just by the trailer alone so yeah i'll see that movie it I, I don't know what really what it's about at all. He literally said two weeks ago, so this is like a space movie, right? <laughs> I mean, like, it's... Well, yeah. because, I mean, they, there's like space trout, but it's not like in the star. It's not, you know, like going around on the Enterprise or flying around and shooting at the Death Star. So I think that's an interesting... It's great for you to bring that up right now because I think... Um, it's worth talking about the fact so much of the time we talk about star Wars on this podcast, because you know, I love star Wars, but it's not very often that you can say that star Wars is the derivative work of something. And in fact, George Lucas, huge Dune fan based so much of, of the universe on Dune, including the sort of density of the lore. Um, Frank Herbert. I mean, if you've read the novel Dune chops, you just alluded to it. It is dense stuff. And Star Wars certainly is inspired by that. Um, Warhammer, the 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 t- tabletop game, pulls a lot from that, and then a lot of those concepts. It's inspired all kinds of science fiction and science fantasy literature and movies and all that kind of stuff. 
I just heard Warcraft. The Warcraft games were yeah somewhat inspired by it. Yeah, so Warcraft and Warhammer, um, and then World of oh. Warcraft and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they're all sort of, they all bounce off one another. I thought it was funny when uh, they were showing the previews. This was like the you know week leading up to it, and it has the, the snippets from reviews and stuff. And one of them was like, it might be the next Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. And I was like, yes, well, except it's kind of backwards, <laughs> but okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously you can't talk about this new movie without at least briefly mentioning the David Lynch movie, which is often derided um, and is brings up the sort of point about this novel or the series of novels that they're very hard to translate to, f- to film <laughs> because they are just so mm-hmm. dense. Yeah, I'm surprised when they were talking about doing an adaptation that they didn't immediately go animation. Yeah. Um, I, that's And then after that, miniseries. And then, I mean, I, we eventually got to just a feature, but... Right. Yeah, it's extremely hard. Well, and I was seeing somebody talking about the, the David Lynch one and like sort of defending it against this one and they're like the david lynch one is campy and if you don't like that and all and i was like well i mean i haven't seen the david lynch one but based on seeing this one this new one it doesn't seem like it's a story that really lends itself to camp or low budget like tricks of the trade that you might do in a movie made in the 80s i think it is much more appropriate to be made now with the technological abilities they have well no dune is very self-serious and not in a way that is off-putting. I mean, some some acts uh, or some, you know, some writings are so self-serious, but in, in a way that they don't deserve to be. But Frank Herbert put so much thought and research. The, the future of the galaxy that he imagines is very much influenced by uh, by Islam and sort of that taking off on this idea of like, what if what if the universe was settled by people with more of that mindset, right? There's, we, we often fantasy literature is so much based in like medieval Europe that it's, it becomes sort of Christianized without meaning to, if that makes sense. Um, Cause mm-hmm. it's based on all those tropes that were so central, but like Dune is very much like, what if the future was Muslim in some ways or, or based in sort of Arabic, but also Northern Africa because there's like French elements going on. It's very interesting. And of course the, the colonial elements as well. Well, and there's definitely like, yeah, there's like the political subtext with this. And it's one of those ones that like, oh, it still kind of makes sense in today's world. And, uh, you know, we were talking last week about Halloween kills and how they just like don't nail any political subtext they were trying to hit. And this one, you get it. You, you understand what he's trying to say. Jen, I, as a, as like a, you know, a very thorough reader of the books as a, as a longtime fan, like what were your what were your fears or what were your hopes going into it? So before you ever saw it, like what were your thoughts about the fact they were adapting Dune? So my fear, like above all, if one, if you're going to do it, do you have like the time and the money to do it right? So that's obviously like the first fear. The second fear is like, once you have the material, do you understand it? Because like you were saying, it is very dense and, Frank Herbert wrote with so much intention. And while the themes are very like surface level, like you can understand them, there's there's so much lore that it gets confusing really quick. So you need someone who like respects and understands the material and then has the time and the money to do it. And I think the director, Denis Villeneuve, is like the most perfect guy, especially after seeing Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, this is perfect. This is perfect. So those were my initial concerns. Then once the trailer started coming out, I was like, okay, it seems like they're going to get the tone right. But then my my biggest fear from that was, are they really willing to like go there, especially with like Paul's character and story arc? Mm-hmm. And I'm still not sure if we're going to get there. It really depends on how many movies we get or you know, what this turns into, but yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I certainly agree with your, the first part, especially like you, if you're going to make this movie and, and I'm going to take a sidetrack really quickly in all the early talking about it, there was the mention of like, Oh, it's going to be a two parter. But then in all the, none of the marketing mentions that in fact, this is Dune part one, 
all of the marketing hit so i had this fear like oh did they drop that like how are they ever going to make dune into a single film it just isn't possible you can't do it um without making it six hours long precisely so i was relieved to see that in fact they were going to go through with making it a two-parter at least a two-parter but i think you can tell it in two parts and i think probably yeah it's gonna end up being a five and a half hour movie all told and to my understanding, Denis Villeneuve said he wouldn't even he shopped around to different studios that he wouldn't even make it unless they agreed up front to two films. That was the deal or he wasn't going to make it for, you know, whatever studio agreed to take him. And so I think that was reassuring that at least they understood it's a it's a big enough story that, that you can't just trim out. There's stuff you can't trim out. And I think they did a decent job with that. A little nerve-wracking that it wasn't technically uh, like officially greenlit for two though until this week that they were sort of waiting on the box office returns so if it wasn't as much of a hit as it's been it we could have ended up with just the half of the story and then nothing continuing this do you think that's really true though because i kind of suspect that this is like a jack uh zack snyder justice league deal where he filmed most of it right up front and you know maybe it wasn't edited there's a lot of it already filmed yeah but I don't know. I mean, studios are weird and finicky about that stuff. So you're right. We probably would have gotten it somewhere, but it maybe wouldn't have gotten the full treatment. Yeah. Had, you know, however that happens now. And obviously Warner Brothers was the Snyder one. Right. To your point, Chops, I think for somebody who hasn't seen any of the movies, you know, or the previous attempts, who hasn't read the books, like to ask, is this a space movie, especially based on the trailers is a kind of a fair question because it's worth noting for people like Dune was one of the first visions of the future. Think of the fact that like Dune is, you know, at the time that Dune is being consumed originally, most of the space literature is talking about highly polished, like white and silver painted visions of the Mm -hmm. future with sleek lines and curves. And, Dune, you know, as we talked about, Star Wars is inspired by Dune, and Dune is inspired by, like, the most of the action in that book happens on a dirty planet, uh, you know, a desert planet, with this sort of cyclopean stone architecture, but not, certainly there are all kinds of, of mentions of technology, but even the, the sort of cruisers that they go around the planet on are based on dragonflies. The, 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 the thopters are, are very much, you know, based on technologies that are fairly familiar to us in our you know helicopters what have you they're not these like fancy hovercrafts pure and simple so i think it's a fair question to be like and 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 in fact too it's worth noting like herbert never makes it explicit that this is set in the milky way galaxy but like it's pretty much kind of assumed that it's set in our own in our own timeline but in the year ten thousand. yeah when you talk about like the characters you know one is named duncan idaho one is named paul so while i'm watching it i'm like this seems somewhat grounded to earth even though they don't mention earth or anything but you know it's eight thousand years into the future so i I had that sense and then you were talking about i I questioned whether or not it was a space movie because i didn't really know much about it well based on the marketing campaign it's pretty much all the desert planet is what they show and so i was like is it space is it like a mad max like post-apocalyptic world that's just way in the future and this is what earth looks like now and it's lost all of its water or something like that so that's where i was i didn't know um so that's why i asked liz jen thought my ignorant question it seemed foolish it did maybe maybe that's more reflective of me and i'm a snob which is very very possible (laughs) well when i did see the movie yeah i thought isn't this the weirdest reboot of Spice World ever? <laughs> yeah. So I want to, I mean, let, let's just dive into it. One of the things that I thought up front was super interesting and may, tell me if I missed this. So the whole, the deal about Dune, the book, the movie, the planet in the book is that Spice, the Spice Melange is this thing that is super important. And if you've read the book, you understand why Spice Melange is super important. Did I miss the part in the movie where they tell you why it's the most valuable thing in the universe? Because I, 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 I know why, but I think I felt like they never really addressed why it was so important in the, in, in the movie. I think Zendaya says it in her opening yeah. narration that it's like the key to 
intergalactic travel, but they still don't, you're right. They don't like hit that over the head that it's that. So it is kind of interesting because, and then I sort of miss it. I don't know if it, if I heard that and then it clicked or what, but I, when I first, when they were first talking about spice, cause I didn't know what was going on coming in. I was like, is it like for food? Because you know, right. in on earth spices were a big deal that made a lot of people, a lot of money at one point in our history. So Mansa Munsa, Mansa Munsa. Yeah. No, it's a, it's an interesting parallel, right? That the spice trade used to be like the most valuable trade in the world. Yeah. So it's not that crazy to think that perhaps like, oh, maybe it is just this sort of like, why are they flying from planet to planet to get this stuff? But okay, well, I, then I just missed that there. But I thought most of the edits of, of content were like really tasteful. I thought they did a, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but like, because we can talk about specifics. The things that Denis Villeneuve cut for time i felt like he still incorporated into the character's motivations in other ways which was good but i that was the one edit that i thought like how can you not talk about what the spice is and that's just me i missed it yeah well and they i feel like they felt they had to get so much exposition it's it's a little difficult to to take in especially if you're somebody who doesn't know you know doesn't have any cliff notes based on you've read the books before so you're kind of making mental checkpoints of like oh yeah that's the good they mentioned that they mentioned that so when i was trying to take it all in it was it was nice that it was split up with some narration some normal you know just dialogue and uh then i thought it was helpful that like they had like his lessons, Paul's lessons to learn sure. about some of the things with like the narrator of the teacher on his little projector and everything. So I think that helped. And it, and it split it up without being just cheap of like every, you know, just here's five minutes of narration to start the movie. Right. Or a scroll of letters to start it. <laughs> Boom. Shots fired. I mean, that's a, that's legitimate. It's a legitimate point, right? When we're starting with the movie. So that gets into like the, the content of the movie and everything, but what stood out to me and why I wanted to see it after the trailers, like I mentioned, it's so visually striking mm-hmm. and it's on HBO max right now. And that's, especially if you've got a good setup, it can still be good, but we saw it in theaters and on the big screen with the surround sound, there's so much you can see. It really does a great job of showing you the scope of uh, Araxis and that planet and everything. And the, the giant industrial pieces they have it it all looks so great and then the sound the full surround sound experience not just for the the loud parts but when they drop it and it's quiet and Mm -hmm. you can feel the silence it's it's a it's one of those ones that feels like a cinematic experience oh absolutely i so i've seen it on hbo max just for convenience but I, yeah, it's on my list to see it at least one time in theaters and it strikes me as one of those movies that i will see several times because you're right it's like in order to fully appreciate it you should see it on the big screen and you only have a limited window of your lifetime to see some you know what i mean what movies are out in theaters and then once they're out like once they're no longer playing you can't see them that way again and so it strikes me as like an opportunity like oh yeah i probably will need to see this at least a few times to at least have have that embedded in my sense memory for when i watch it in the future well i'm i don't know about that because to me, like this movie, just like visually and technically is so groundbreaking that if it really takes off, it really depends on how they stick the landing with the second one and if they decide to like move forward. But I mean, every time there's a new Star Wars, like people are in the theaters for what, like 10 hours at a time because the theaters will just run through all the Star Wars from start to finish and people like do everything in the theater. I suppose that's true. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, that it could easily turn into that. If it sticks to landing, it has the potential to be that big where you do get those reruns in theaters. Yeah. Like how avatar went back just to become the highest grossing movie of all time. I don't know if dude's going to get to that level, but it's, I mean, it's, it certainly should as a property. It certainly deserves to. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it will. It's when I, my first thought after not even after while I was watching it, I was like, this is the most expensive art house movie I've ever seen. (laughs) And it's, it's PG 13, but it's probably not for a crowd younger than 16, at least not on a macro level because of the, the themes in it. Not that they're inappropriate or anything, but it's just the uh, complexity of it. Yes. That's the right word. And I would make the argument that in fact, the rating might be 
might be geared at that right that it's not that it's necessarily it's not there are some graphic moments as far as violence i suppose but mm-hmm. it's just would be hard for anyone too young to understand <laughs> because for a lot of adults it's not it's not easily yeah, understood i had a hard time understanding it. we rewatched most of it last night on hbo max and second watch through i was picking up on a lot of things and because we were at home i could pause it or while we were watching just ask jen some questions because she read it so she knows a little bit more and a lot more um and that helped a lot so it definitely is a movie for if you don't know any of the backstory and haven't read it it's probably going to take at least two watches for you to really understand what's going on and how all the pieces fit together because after that first viewing what were you calling the giant sandworms shia labeouf (laughs) (laughs) yeah so which is which is great after the second viewing i'm still calling him that i mean yeah i know but (laughs) you said that i was like that's perfect it's very good i mean i didn't even i think it's because you know there were enough like you know weird futuristic space type names flying around and stuff that uh i didn't pick up his name was paul that it was that simple in the the first viewing i don't I, i think i thought they were saying something like more exotic sure just because i was in that mindset and then i was like wait is his name just paul yeah it's it is interesting that mix right because his his mother is jessica but his dad's leto which is not actually that unusual of a name leto is a greek name and of course their name is atreides so in Mm -hmm. in in the and caladan is a sort of greek derived name or you know so it 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 sticks with this idea that herbert was writing sort of a different version of the middle east or the the mediterranean maybe that's a better way of putting it the mediterranean because in this sense the you know the atreides are the greeks and they have this you know beautiful ocean world of of greenery and and epic legends and the wrestling of the bull and i thought that imagery was really neat throughout there were ways that that Villeneuve grabbed details from the book that were were took up a page in the book, like a page was spent on why there was a bullhead in the conference room. Um, that Denise was really good at, like just putting there for you to to you know put bathe your bathe your eyes almost an Easter egg, but not in a sort of wink wink nudge nudge way, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. And then Paul just had the line of, "And Grandpa, what do you say? Wrestled bulls for sport." Yeah. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I don't know the significance of the bulls in there. Jen, I, I you were kind of explaining some of this to me and how it's it's cool because it's like otherworldly sci-fi, but it's also really grounded and almost in some ways a step back, especially with modern technology. There's a lot of analog things and the there's like people who do calculations in their head, but they're not really using computers themselves. Yeah, so they're obviously not going to get into this in a part one movie because there's absolutely no way that you can. But I think a lot of the cinematography pays attention to the fact that they're not using like touchscreen, super high tech stuff. Mm-hmm. And we get um, we get the Atreides Mentat like doing the the calculations in his head. Um, that's a really good cue to that. That we've there was an inciting incident in the books that forced humanity to evolve and it was basically like ai got out of control so humankind basically banned all thinking computation so they had to evolve to a point in which um there's like three separate groups one of those groups are the mentats the other one are the benny jesuit but basically like human evolution to make i don't want to say make up for but to basically like fill that gap where like the ai was doing the thinking and stuff for us well sure well and and you hit the hill the nail on the head and that's why the where spice comes in right because it it fills the gap between the sort of limits of human comprehension and the necessity for complex calculations for something like space travel And Mm -hmm. there's this idea that like spice is so important because without it, you can't breed this sort of these races of humans, for lack of a better term, that are able to do these complex calculations or do these in the case of like Thufir Hawat that he was doing. I liked the the, the eye roll back in the head 
while that he was, was doing a really good yeah. visual of like oh okay so there's something going on in there that's not just like normal four plus five in my head you I, know yeah. I, mean? I took that as the the cursor spinning on your computer yeah. screen that's <laughs> kind of the visual cue of that uh, they don't but the mentats don't need spice no i, I forget what they do but they're just trained from an early age the third group yeah. you're trying to think of are like the navigators that in fact are like yes, these horrified the mutated stuff. yeah these horrified mutated versions of humanity that are so addicted to spice and like malformed by spice and yeah we didn't Paul see any of those spice. ones well spice now the other thing that that the, the is spice a fun drug i couldn't tell spice is a, a halluc it's it's like an lsd kind of thing except, yeah yeah except it has some like magical properties and, and the other part that they don't kind of talk to you about is the the benny jesserit there is so much lore there that mm. is sort of i mean you get the fact that they are that they are mystical beings and you get the fact that they're like this sort of priestess hood this universe-wide priestesshood and that they like they have these schemes and machinations and that's sort of alluded to but you don't from the movie i feel get the depth of how much the benny jesserit are working behind the scenes to to sort of alter the course of of humanity yeah and you get some of that explanation from jessica yeah. um after the um after you know the hand in the box test right what is it called the, the juice um the, <laughs> the, the poison gom, needle the, box the, test shush, the gom jabbar <laughs> the gom jabbar yes i knew yeah. he would know it <laughs> I, I was trying to get there too but you started going and then i was like oh no i can't come up with it either <laughs> I was just going to say, while well, we're talking about the most powerful thing, and I mentioned visually striking things, Oscar Isaac's beard. Oh, my God. His beard, guys, oh. we have to game recognize game, right? I mean, Oscar Isaac is just too good looking. It's not fair. It's not fair how good looking he is. And that, yeah, with the beard, oof. It's too much. Perfect casting. Yeah. Perfect casting. Great cast overall. A lot of times... It's weird because they don't all have the biggest roles and everything, and it's all-star casting, but they, they don't look like they're trying to force it just because certain people are certain levels of star or anything. But you still get enough from all the the names, I think, in the movie, even if their roles are smaller. Like Josh Brolin's role isn't huge, but you, you get enough yeah. of it. Dave Bautista and Zendaya barely do anything well, in this movie. He, I think he, they're going to be important going forward. Yeah, I was going to say, Dave Bautista is going to have, have a little bit bigger role in the second half, um, certainly based on i mean if it follows the cues of the books and so will like javier bardem i'm assuming oh for sure with him. Oh, yeah. yeah yeah no but your points i think so a lot of people signed on to this project just as a passion project right um i know it was pretty public that han zimmer um turned down other jobs because he wanted to be he wanted to do the music for dune um because he just is such a fan of the books and i i'm thinking you know probably a lot of these actors and actresses have this love for this narrative that they were like i don't care what my part is i just want to be in it well either the narrative or the story or just working with denis Villeneuve. yeah i think that's enough right there to get people to sign on a yeah. movie if it's if he's at the helm and he's passionate about it as well so right well it's a project he's been wanting to do for years and shopping around and as we said you know basically said i got the rights to it and then said i will only make this film if you give me what i want and that's the right way to do it. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you have the chops and, that he has and, and, and an ambitious project like he does, you should have those kinds of demands. And one of the things he wanted, as we've alluded to, was it being two parts. And I thought that it is a little unsatisfying at the end, but I think that's because it's good. Like, I, I just want to know what happens. I want to tune in next week for yeah. the next episode of Dune, but it's now it's going to be another two years. Yeah. Or... I was going to say, I was hoping that because it was had to be a two parter that maybe that movie was just basically going to be ready to go in a year. <laughs> well, remember matrix two and three came out really quickly. Yeah. And I thought it I thought maybe it could be like a situation like that, but now it's, it's, well, it's going to be a full two years. Even like the Lord of the Rings films came out in back to back to back years. You know, they yeah. made them they made them all at the same time and then they just sort of edited them and released them a year apart. So I was kind of hoping it was going to be one of those. I bet you it's going to be that will be the case for if they go for three. Yeah, that will be the case. Like they'll have two out and then nine months later, three will be out. Yeah. 
nine months later, another Dune baby pops out. So many Dune babies. Before we get too far away, talking about Dune babies, before we get too far away, the <laughs> casting of uh, Oscar Isaac, I want to say too, Timothy Chalamet, who is increasingly becoming one of these like wunderkins in Hollywood, right? Um, yeah. I was shocked at how much he looks like Oscar Isaac a little bit, but he sounds like Oscar Isaac. There were lots of moments in the film where I wondered, like, did they dub Oscar Isaac's voice with his or because i don't know he just was very good at affecting that uh, whatever oscar isaac's thing is he was really good at affecting the tone and the the delivery i don't know and maybe that was something that he studied so that he could be like his father but i thought that was so perfect uh, uh, you know i wasn't sure what yeah, to that's... think of that but uh, that cast well i think they even play into that a little bit when he's meeting with uh javier bardem is like the leader of the freeman yeah and he speaks up as like Javier's character brings up something and he's like, yeah, and that's wrong. And like, he like steps in like for his, his dad to like yeah. say that in this meeting that clearly it's not really his place to be speaking up, but being who he is, he can. Right. And I, I yeah, I feel like that kind of plays into it. Even yeah. when they're on the cliff and they're having that conversation and just like Paul's eagerness to step up, but still like that trepidation of like, Oh God, am I ready? And blah, blah, blah. That talk between the two of them, was so effective mm -hmm. for one, the character's motivations, but just like there was real chemistry between Oscar Isaac and Timothy Chalamet. And like, and in a way that was like, I am going to take my cues from you. But the only reason why people respect Duke Leto is like that correlationship right. of like, not subservience but like respect to him deference I think yeah deference yes that is the that is the word that i'm looking for and it feels like every character that is like involved with the atreides has this deference to him and i think they're really taking that cue from like that relationship established between paul and in the duke i think they do a good job of illustrating that too just between paul and the duke because uh Everybody else who's like a high ranking official that like everybody else respects and deserves. Paul runs up to him, he's like, What's up, man? So great to see you. But like, he totally takes his dad very seriously. But at the same time, Duke Leto doesn't demand it. It's, you know, he basically he, he gives this sort of fatherly advice, but it's almost with this, uh, this subtext of like, I'm asking you to do this. I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm asking you as a father, not commanding you as like a, as a monarch. Um, but and that's, that's so, even his yeah. that's even his relationship with Jessica. Yeah. Like he he under I don't know if he fully understands, but he definitely recognizes the power that the Benny Jesuit possess. Mm -hmm. And obviously Jessica is one of the Benny Jesuit, but even still, like he doesn't go around commanding her. He's asking her, like asking the Benny Benny Jesuit when he's so desperate, like he could boss her around, but he doesn't because he is so like respectful and like there is such a, like a loving relationship at the core of that house. Well, and the story of, of their sort of romance, right. Is that she was his concubine and he fell in love with her and basically was forbidden from marrying her, but he's as good as he, she's as good as his wife and, and vice versa. Right. Um, yeah. And everyone respects her as that status, even right. though formally she is not. Correct. Aaron didn't. Well, he still called her your concubine. Well, there's that was just a, oh the Baron though. Yeah, there's some other yeah. stuff going on there that I that would be big old spoilers that I don't yeah. want to talk about. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard. It, like the way that character makes you feel to say Stellan Skarsgård did a good job, but he did a great job. Yeah. It's just the most grotesque, disgusting character ever. And can I say that it, I hope they do more with him in the second film because that character in the books is so much more conniving and yeah. clever and they did very little with that. I mean, they make him very powerful and they make him have it. You know, he has this scheme, but he's in the books. He is just so smart and so on top of things and has it all laid out and has these really witty banter sessions with his nephew and with his mentat and, and is, I don't know, he's so churlish, but he's also, he's kind of likable in the books for as gross as he is physically and that? like emotionally and mentally. He's so gross, but also you kind of like, all right, 
this guy's clever though <laughs> you have to respect that what was that spider human in a gimp suit pet he had what is that thing i can't say that i know exactly what that thing i have no <laughs> yeah. i had no idea <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's okay. It doesn't speak our language. They're like, get it out of here. I'm not talking to you with that thing here. I will say it's like the Baron reading the Baron is like reading Joffrey or watching Joffrey. Like you yeah. love to hate him. And you're right. I think in the books, there's like so much more plot surrounding like the fall of the house of Trades that mm -hmm. you don't get. And there are like levels of manipulation, like how they get the traitor spy in there. Right. All that stuff is missing, but it's cut for time. Like there's this great dinner scene that they cut out, but that's cause like, there's this whole, there's this like whole level of like plot that they just cut out where like Jessica is, is suspected yeah. to be, the traitor in the house because everyone knows that there is a traitor in the house yeah and but we only get that with the hunter seeker and paul finding out and that's how they find out that there's a traitor well and among. and they still manage to have that you know there's that scene where where leto and jessica are having a private conversation and he feels betrayed because he feels like betrayed by jessica because he feels like she had this plot and maybe he didn't love her or their son as much after all. There's that hint there, right? And that's sort of yeah, where it arrives in the book, but through a completely different, a completely different series of events that, yeah, we don't see it all in the movie. While we're here, we're, we've been, we're talking about this sort of first part of the movie and the things they cut for time. And I want to tell you that if I have one complaint, it is this. The book opens chapter one, is the scene with the Gom Jabbar. And chapter two is one of those really clever exchanges between the Baron Harkonnen and his folks. And to me, it is the most effective. Those are the two most effective opening chapters in all of literature because you get so much. I, I, I was disappointed that the Gom Jabbar scene wasn't the first scene in the movie because it is so impactful and it sets the tone so well. And it's the most important in the book, it's setting up the whole narrative, which is this Messiah thing that's going on, but he's a false Messiah that's going on with, with Paul. And, and be, like, I don't know. It's not that it was bad the way they did it. I just was, I was disappointed because I just felt like it has to be first. It has to be the first scene and putting it where they did. I don't know. It just, it took a little bit out of the, the little bit of the piss out of it for me. I just felt like it missed. It was missing something by being where it was. They still do pack so much into that first 20 minutes of the movie. Though. Sure. The opening, when, oh, we, yeah. when we rewatched it and we paused it at one point, I was like, man, we're only 19 minutes in and like we're this much has already been given to us. Uh, so I think they were really effective with their time, even though it was two and a half hours, it didn't quite feel its length, which is always a good thing with a movie. Yeah. Um, it does drag a little bit, after they get to like the ecological station and, and stuff. And then you, then you're just kind of at a race to the end of when he meets up with the Fremen and has like the, the battle there at the end. Did you guys think there was for, you know, the more normal viewer and somebody who doesn't really know anything about Dune, was there enough action sprinkled in to keep people interested? I thought they did a pretty good job, um, but it, it doesn't drag, but there are some times where it's a little, little lulls in it yeah i do i think so i think i think they nailed the pacing i do and and i will say i think it does serve the purposes of the movie better to have that basically like introducing all of the characters of the like atreides house first and like having them sign because you're introducing like the very like base level conflict of this is what's happening we are basically being forced to move to another planet, blah, blah, blah. Like introducing the idea of the Imperium and the Emperor, I think is really important for like casual movie fans. And then introducing like, like the like long-term like plots for Paul and like that, that introducing like the beginning of that, like character development for him after, I think gives you a little bit of space to to go forward if that makes sense like you have like the foundation for the movie is we're going to arrakis and then the next level is 
Paul is a false Messiah. I think that concept is a little bit harder for people to understand with how much time they have in the movie. So introducing that after I think was a good move because then you get to Arrakis and everything starts to happen and yeah. yada, yada, yada. I think so two points one to your question chops I I think that the the pacing was very good and I thought that where they didn't necessarily have action scenes there was intensity that brought that sort of energy so even if they weren't like sword fighting they were they, you still were getting that level of intensity in some of the scenes mm-hmm. right um well I, I mean the you guys mentioned the Benny Gesserit uh, scene with the box and everything that's scarier than anything in Halloween kills that scene right there <laughs> well, that's true to your point, Jen, I think the thing that that tells me about the future of the of Dune as a franchise is they have decided to go the Game of Thrones route, which is to make it a political a political movie or a series of movies, yeah. right? I can guarantee you. I will speak it now for all to hear that they will not make any more Dune movies after these two because the rest of the Dune franchise revolves around this messiah plot line and in the books they call it a jihad i noticed in the movie they didn't use the term jihad mm-hmm. um you know for reasons but i think that they that by doing it this way it's not that it's a bad movie they have just decided that it's going to be a political action movie as opposed to a and it's tough right because in some ways I mean, like the false messiah story is much more complicated and does require much more exposition and and it's way more fantastical to make it a political action movie is much is more palatable, as you said, to the average viewer. I don't think it's a yeah. bad choice, but I do think it it sort of telegraphs where it's going, which is probably nowhere after these two films. <laughs> well, it's so hard to do. I think it's like way hard to do a a movie about reaching like a higher level of consciousness as like a society and and i think that they handled the like his visions very well Mm -hmm. but i think that is as far as it can go without it getting too weird for mainstream sure i think especially once you're getting into like children of dune and stuff like it is so far out there for for the normal viewer like i i just yeah i agree with you i don't see them doing it and again, I'm not even saying that I, I will reiterate. I don't know that that's a bad choice, but it's a pretty definitive choice as far as I'm concerned. Like by framing well, it this way. Well, they prime you for it. Yeah. They prime you for it. Oscar Isaac says we face political danger. Right. And he's talking about going to Iraq. Is... And maybe and maybe Denis Villeneuve had wisdom to, to realize that if you're going to make this movie and it's going to be successful and it's going to get people to go read the books, that that's how you have to do it. You have to make it Game of Thrones. You can't make it. I don't know, all the Star Wars movies, kind of like we're using these cognates that and we neglected to talk at the beginning of the episode how George R.R. R. Martin certainly cites Frank Herbert as an influence. You can see that in but he just took all of the the magical or mo, I shouldn't say all most of the magical stuff out, whereas Dune, the further along you get, the more fantastical it gets. But do you think they could still do like the false messiah um thread without doing more fantastical elements as you're saying like that's that's what my concern is like when you start removing all of that stuff it's harder to see like what how paul ends up where he does and like like the the major like themes of like the dune saga yeah you know what i mean and i don't want to say too much because i don't want to spoil it for people but like it is like imperative that like once you get to the end of Dune, like it's not like that this, story's like, not over by a long yeah, it's shot. Like, it's <laughs> it's not like this. We defeated evil, like white savior thing. Like it is, it is the farthest thing from that. Yeah, no, and that's why it's tough, right? Because I, I can't, I can't tell you that I remember which book it's in that they get really into the nitty gritty about why Paul and how he probably he might be the the Kwisatz Haderach, but he might not be and or like maybe rushing the process change something i don't remember yeah, where it's that Messiah. hits okay I'm so that's sure it's Messiah. so that's several books down the line where they get into the fact that like hey 
yeah, Paul kind of is filling this role, but he might not have been. And again, we we keep talking about like Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars is the chosen, but he's not necessarily the chosen everyone was expecting. And Paul Atreides was it was that first. He was the he's the chosen, but is he the chosen of the prophecy in the way that everyone expected? And the answer turns out to be no. Of course, he's not. And just to bring it back to like this movie, yeah. Um, the fact that <laughs> what like, we're talking about this movie. <laughs> the Sorry. fact that Jessica is like willing to like risk it all, just like like years and generations of like Benny Jesuit breeding program bullshit, just to just to give Oscar Isaac the son that he always wanted. Like I understand that so deeply because I would do the same exact thing for Oscar Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> well. But see, and again, I don't remember where they reveal this, but that's one of those instances where Lady Jessica knows just a little bit more than we we do. Where did the, when do they get into that? Because there's a specific reason that she ends up being the being. It's okay that she bears him, the Kwisatz Haderach. I well, don't know. It's not. It's I forget not where that is. Yet, <laughs> yeah, it's certainly they, not in the movie yet. Well, well. So then, when they're walking uh, the Reverend Mother back out onto her ship. They're, she's basically confronting Jessica like you were supposed to have a girl right you knew you weren't supposed to do this all this stuff and then it's like even though you weren't um we still you know uh, you know we we plan for this because like duh because hello so yeah, yeah you do have a path there is a path for him and like yeah I, I hope it works out for you because if it doesn't I guess we'll do it, that. Yeah, it'll plan. be another thousand years before we can <laughs> yeah. make it happen. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm not saying that I think they're going to cast that storyline to the sign at all. But as we're, you know, as we are discussing as people who have at least read past Dune, it, it, that, that story gets a lot bigger and there's a lot more moving parts. And, I, you know, it's hard to know how you can just make Dune, how you can make Dune and not have make more because there's like a lot more story to tell there. But I think that's kind of what they're setting up, which is that we're not going to make six of their 12 of these movies, whatever we're going to make two of them. And we're going to focus on the storyline you can tell in two movies. And it'll be a satisfying conclusion because it has to be, it's a Hollywood film. Uh, <laughs> so, but even in the satisfying conclusion in the books is not a satisfying conclusion. It's just the next step. And then it sets you up to go read the next book. Before we wrap up, I wanted to make a few comments on like kind of just like the movie effects aspects yeah. of it. So as I mentioned, like I thought it was so good in the theaters and the theater's really dark. So this is something I really like that they did. You see it when uh, the Arrakis city where, the, where they're at is being is under attack by the, the Harkonnen. And when they first get to Arrakis, that they use the screen effectively as a light to show this like contrast of like what's going on. So it's dark in that ship when they're landing and then they open it up and it's really washed out because it's just this light, you know, tan color that is just reflecting all the lights. You get that feeling of, okay, this is bright, sunny, hot desert planet. And then in the, the attack, it's dark, it's night, big explosion, whole theater lights up with a fiery red explosion and now you feel like you're you're in this moment and you you're following those guys around so i really like that i thought that was effective um the the way they use things to show like i said earlier the scope the size of these things the the sandworm eating the crawler was amazing and in the theaters you really get a sense of how big that machine is but also when they're going over the the stronghold there in arrakis um, I, and I wasn't sure about this, but because it had sand on it and the shadows were so good from the sun, I was wondering if that was a miniature or if it is just CGI and it's just done perfectly. I think this movie would have been perfect if they mixed in some miniatures that they could re- if they could sell you on it and it looks great. I think that that would have been really good. So I don't know. I couldn't find. I tried to look it up. I couldn't find anything for sure if they had any miniatures. When I tried to look up Dune miniatures, it just came up with a Timothy Chalamet. Uh, action, action figure, figure. yeah <laughs> and i was like no not that uh and the last thing was uh there was only one effect from the cgi standpoint that i was like eh, that's not the greatest and it was the um the carriers of the, like the of the crawler things when mm-hmm. they when they put that when that one first when they were leaving and they showed one of those attaching and going up and the balloons popped out the texture on the balloons didn't look perfect to me but other than that I thought everything looked like real world tangible things to me. I can forgive that though, 
just because like I can't do. I was just saying that was only. I mean, one thing that doesn't look yeah. great is actually more of a compliment than a I mean, detriment. How they did the sandworms was like outstanding. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was so like okay so like the first time that we get like introduced to the sandworms and just like the shifting sands is like incredible i mean it is spot on it and it like gets your heart racing you're like okay obviously nothing's gonna happen to this kid but like there's a giant man-eating sandworm (laughs) coming yeah it's so good. I, I will say too, they very effectively took a, a page out of Jaws's playbook, which is that you you never you all I shouldn't say never. Of course, at some point in the movie, you do finally see the whole sandworm at once. But they're very good about showing you just enough sandworm, and also when it appears and it's too big for the screen. I thought chops to your point about like the scale being really perfect. I thought that was really something that they intentionally cropped out pieces of sandworm so that it just was like too large. It was larger than life. It was too large to fit mm-hmm. on a movie screen. That really sold the the bigness. I think there's still some mystery to the sandworms for, for sure. the sequel that you're going to get a bigger picture of them and they they get close to showing it but not quite. Yeah. And uh and then the the concept of there are people who ride them. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's going to come up and that'll be, I think that'll be really cool. Sand power. Yeah. They te- they did tease that in a really cool way without giving away too much. And yeah, sand power. We had air power. We had sea power. Now sand power. I think. Atreides. By- Atreides. Yeah. Atreides. Are you done? Thanks. Atreides. <laughs> I think my favorite part of this um, movie was the desperation i felt the whole time Mm -hmm. like i like as soon as he as soon as the duke puts his seal on that piece of paper it's like you know you know the worst things are gonna happen and then you get to arrakis and it's like there's really no time to like figure out what to do or like we know that the equipment's down they basically screwed us from the jump. Yeah. Uh, the hunters, you get the hunter seeker. Like it is, I like, I felt desperate the whole time, like watching these people and they end up in the desert and they're like, okay, now I have to find the front end. Like it is for, that's why I think the pacing works for me is even if there's not like an, enough action for some people, it's the, co- the story is constantly moving yeah. forward. There's dread. There's a sense of dread throughout yes. the whole thing that, and that's a, they captured that really well. And that sort of resignation of Duke Leto and then everybody that surrounds him. It's like, we know that we're, we know that we're being screwed. We know that we're being set up to fail. It's, it's just a matter of how far we can get before it all starts collapsing around us. Right. And the political stuff is, I think really intriguing. I think it's really interesting. And I think that's why you're okay at the end when this, or maybe even at the beginning now, when you see that it's a part one, because It none of it a two and a half hour movie that's a part one and none of it feels like filler. They're not just trying to get to two movies. No, it's no, and I will say that that was the thing that I really, I really liked about is the things that they omitted. They had to omit to make to make it not be paced in a really terrible way. Um, So I think no, I think the decisions they made on the editorial decisions were spectacular. I think this movie, if they can, if they can nail part two the way they've nailed part one i don't think people are going to really be able to complain too much about the way it ends up i mean and people will but they shouldn't be able to <laughs> yeah and then watch it as a double feature absolutely i mean that that's that's what i think this is made for is mm-hmm. that ending and then you don't do this anymore but you flip the disc or you <laughs> put in the next vcr yeah like you did if you had titanic on vcr and maybe two years will be a special enough time that you can, uh, hey, movie studio, sell a $25 ticket and you get to watch both, both of them back, back, to back to back, which yeah. is an intermission or something. Yeah, we've talked about before how, you know, I will regularly put on a whole Star Wars trilogy uh, and watch it on a weekend or put on the Lord of the Rings trilogy and watch it. I can very easily see Dune part one and two becoming part of that kind of a ritual for me where it's like, you know what? I just feel like watching six hours of Dune and put it on um and like i said if they if do if part two is reaches as far as this does then i i will be pleased my i think if this movie introduces more people to 
like the world of Dune and Frank Herbert and his wacky, incredible mind. Like, I think it's a success. I don't even think you need to be like the biggest earning box office of all time or, you know, whatever. But yeah. There's just, I feel like... Not every movie needs to be the biggest movie of all time. It's okay if this one only makes, you know, $600 million. And like like you said, um, Jen, you hit the nail on the head. Like, this is one of the the biggest budget art films ever. But that's kind of how Star Wars ended up being, right? Like, Star Wars was this movie that, that was a passion project for George Lucas that he funded himself because he just needed it to be made. And it's turned into one of, if not the biggest movie franchise of all time. So <laughs> sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes it takes a creator who's just like, I'm going to make this movie the right way, my way. And it doesn't matter how, what the, the ticket sales are like, although the ticket sales have been great. It's just needs to be put out there to introduce people to this world. And as you said, like, even if they don't make more Dune movies, there are five books out there for people to go, well, there's six, read the first Dune, but then also keep reading the others. Can't wait for trick or treaters to dress up as the Baron. That'll be great. <laughs> as the Baron. You know what would be really funny though is somebody dressing up a baby as the Baron and have them in like a little hover yeah. with a hover robe. I will say though, like the still suits are like spot on. Yeah. So good. Like the the look of everyone in the movie is like, like yeah. spot on. No, yeah, nothing's looks, out of place. I'm surprised like I haven't heard more people talking about like how the still suits work. Like, yeah, they talk about like your body's moisture and like, you know, the sweat or whatever and tears and, mm-hmm. but like, it's like your piss too. Yeah. It, it takes all of <laughs> your surprised. liquid and recycles it. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised where people aren't talking about that. Cause I remember the first time I read that, I was like, Oh God, yeah. but like, I guess, nah. that- and the whole like spitting on the table. Yes. Thing. I was just going to mention that. Well, how good that is. Yeah, it's great. The gift. Thank you for the gift of your water. Of your mo- of the moisture from your body. Yeah. All- it, it, we return it in the same way it was given. And also, on the table. And, and, you know, we were talking a little about side characters. D- that Duncan Idaho, you know, Jason Momoa is really good in that role in a way that I wasn't sure about him being. Uh, because Duncan Idaho is one of the, like, uh, uh, in the whole series is, like, so beloved people yeah. love duncan idaho and duncan idaho uh, can i spoil something from like book five no come on uh, no you can't uh, i mean i mean i'm, I'm going to it's my show and i'm going to <laughs> so you know how paul has this vision of duncan idaho in the who like as a member of the fremen and there's like but but like with the beard then there's this like whole thing where he goes and he becomes part of the fremen but then he comes back so in, I think, book five, there's this revelation that there are these all these clones of Duncan Idaho that they send back in time. <laughs> and I'm wondering if, if Denis Villeneuve, which is, does not appear in the, the, Dune, you know, the book Dune, it's one of those things that retroactively you realize, like, oh, yeah, Duncan was actually, like, clone future Duncan was there, too. I wonder if Denis Villeneuve is going to do anything with that. It seems like he might be, which is kind of a fun little little thing to add in there. So we're gonna have like we're gonna have like clean shaven Duncan and evil Duncan with a goatee. But he's not evil. <laughs> he's sent back in time to try to do good because lots of things. Yeah. Happen. So was the Terminator. Yeah. Well. Well, in the second one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, Jen. I had to spoil it because I want to see if it okay. pays off. But like, it just makes me want to talk about like so that's that's the problem it's like once you start yeah down the hill of like major <laughs> spoilers you just gotta go for it yeah we you know we should do an episode not right now but we should do an episode where we that's like all spoilers forever of dune so it's like don't listen to this if you ever want to be surprised by anything in dune but here's all the cool stuff that dune does we ought to do yeah. that episode sometime as a follow-up i i I sign on to that. I wholeheartedly agree. We'll get it on the schedule. So listen. And we'll ask Tim Hall to do it with us. I'm sure he's read all of them. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to say, audience, this is your this is your warning that if you that if you're going to get on board with that episode in the future, you better start reading now. Pack a lunch because it's an all day job. Um, <laughs> anyway, dear listeners, thank you for joining us for this discussion of Dune. Well, I think we can all say we loved it would recommend anyone to go see it. Am I speaking falsely for either of you two? 
No, I gave it an A in my Chops movie review, which is pretty rare air. I loved it. I don't think it's for everyone. Well, I I have more hope. <laughs> I, I have, have so hope. little faith in, in the human in well, population. <laughs> that's Help fair. Me, Paul Atreides, you're you my mean, only hope. You mean the animals? <laughs> Are you saying you're you're sifting the sand to find humans? Yeah, basically. There you go. Bunch of mm, never mind. Yeah, no, let's be let's be <laughs> let's be wise. Let's be careful here. I was going to try to do a metaphor, but I'm like bad at metaphors and So you were similes, just going to say the so. F word a lot. Um yeah. <laughs> You were lost in the sand. Oh my god, wait, we forgot to talk about the sandwalk. Paul getting high. Oh. And yeah. the sandwalk. And potential spice orgies. Oh, so much. <laughs> well, well, that will be in the in the Dune in the series yeah. book one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so again, dear listener, this is your warning to start reading so you can take part in that episode. We'd like to uh thank Jennifer Lopez, Jennifer aka Jennifer Lopez Finch for joining us again today and for sharing your expertise on the Dune series and your passion for it too. We really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> you're welcome. And uh, if you're out there, just let us know what you think about, uh, let us know what you thought about Dune. You can find us on Twitter at uh, nerd that's n-e-r-d underscore a-s-s-o-c you can also email us at nerd at gmail.com let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about maybe even come on and be one of our nerds like jen uh thanks for listening we'll talk to you next week How come you never thank me? Because it's you get the co that good co-host money. Oh yeah. <laughs>